gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 119, the review segment for Friday, May 20th, 2016. Today we've got a double header of reviews because Neighbors 2 and The Nice Guys are both out and how could we possibly choose between the two of them? How could anyone choose between them? Why? Pretty I, easily, What I think a weird it turns out. programming for the weekend. I don't know. I maintain it was a terrible idea to open these two movies against uh, each other. I think you are probably right. I mean, my prediction is that the loser of the two will be the nice guys. I don't know. Do you, do you guys see? Oh, definitely. Let's do some box office yeah. prediction for a section for a second. Uh, yes, I, I think you are right. Uh, I, I don't think there's much doubt about that. Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling, uh, as well liked in some circles as they are, are not quite the box office draw that uh, sequel to a very very successful comedy with Zac Efron and Seth Rogen. Would be. Well liked in some circles is a pretty sick burn there, actually. Um, I want to start with the nice guys because I think we might have more to talk about with the na- with neighbors too. And also, I just saw it, so it's fresh in my mind. Um, and we all just saw it. So uh, the nice guys, I feel like, is already getting some like cultish appreciation. Like there's people who love Shane Black who are already seeing this movie being uh, underappreciated in their eyes. It's a uh, a seventy set detective movie in L.A. It's uh, got lots of, it's got, you know, characters quipping back and forth with each other, which is a Shane Black hallmark. Shane Black uh, wrote and directed Iron Man 3. His movie, last movie before that was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I think. Yep. Correct. Um, and yeah, he was kind of a revered screenwriter for a long time. <laughs> I feel like we're overlooking his major contributions yeah. to the film here. Lethal Weapon. Indeed. Last Action Hero. Indeed. Well, I was, you know, it's kind of going back in time. Like he, he had this kind of run as a screenwriter in the uh, 80s and 90s and then has like returned as a writer director and had a Marvel movie, which is kind of an odd addition in there. Uh, but the nice guys is like, I mean, I guess it's like a throwback to lethal weapon in that way. And a throwback in that it is set in the seventies and, uh, Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe are, you know, they're detectives running around Los Angeles. Like, does the plot of this movie matter at all? The plot is the only uh, thing that matters. I mean, but it's like a detective movie where they're like trying <laughs> to fi- figure out a thing the and talk both. to a guy and then talk to another guy. Right. I'm not entirely not. sure what, Patches means by well, that. I guess I guess what I mean uh, is every scene is about the plot, but it's about it's just in order to make Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe butt heads or riff or throw in action set pieces. I mean, they're propelled yeah. by the mystery, the clues that they're seeking out, the you know woman who's missing that they're going to find. Um, all the plot matters, but not really. Uh, I still don't know if I can agree with that, but I, I do think that anyone who saw Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, will be very comfortable with how Black sort of pays homage to the classic film noirs uh, that have plots so twisty that uh, not even the screenwriters, you think, would be able to tell you everything that's going on. Uh, this is no yeah. Maltese Falcon in that regard, but um, one of the things, you know, we'll get into it, but one of the things that I think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang did so much better than this movie is it actually made that confusion into a virtue, whereas here it just feels like baggage, but... Uh, yeah, it's a very confusing plot about a kidnapping uh, and a murder. The first scene in the movie is about a porn star named Misty Mountain who crashes her car into the living room of some kid who is never seen again. And uh, she's dead, but her aunt 
I believe it's her aunt, grandmother. Yeah, um, aunt, I think. Aunt uh, swears that she saw her granddaughter alive, at, or I'm sorry, her niece alive after she was believed to be dead. Uh, and so she hires one of the two detectives. She hires Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling to, uh, to track her niece down. Um, but the plot only gets more complicated from there. And there's a girl is introduced. I could not for the life of me tell you how this character is first introduced into the story by name, but a character named Amelia, uh, I can tell you how she was introduced. She actually hires Russell Crowe, who is not a private eye. He, he's a bruiser. Um, he wants to hire her to get Ryan Gosling off her trail because he takes money and beats Ah, people up. So she hires him and that's how he gets involved. And then it kind of twists back that he'll partner up with Ryan Gosling to find her because he realizes she's in jeopardy. Got it. So, uh, so that's what happens there. And, uh, she is also very important, uh, part of the story. It is like, uh, to reference kiss, kiss, bang, bang again, a Johnny Gossamer tale, um, where these two cases, Turn out to really be one case. Although here it's more clearly just one case the entire time. But there is some shiftiness going on that has nothing to do with anything that takes place, you know, that that is pointing towards action that's happening 1,500 miles away. Um, And uh, it's, as Patch has said, it's all an excuse for lots of of shenanigans. Yeah, and I I mean, I think as... uh disposable as this movie feels to me it's a detective movie in which there aren't really any stakes like there's not like you know existential you know ennui the way that you get in like the long goodbye like the mysteries and that interesting i do think ryan gosling and russell crowe make for an appealing pair like i like the idea of them as a duo i think the movie does a good job of establishing them so that you enjoy watching them even though that there was a point where i went to the bathroom and then got popcorn and came back and i don't think i'd miss anything like nothing managed to have happened in this relatively complicated you missed some very funny jokes uh, well, that, that's the thing. That's what I knew. I was like, your critical duty. <laughs> I'm not reviewing it. I mean, this is this is my review. <laughs> you are, so what, you, are, what are we doing here? <laughs> uh, chatting conversation. You should pass this off on your pregnancy. You, you're, <laughs> no, you're, oh yeah, I absolutely playing that card. I think uh, that's what I want. The I although I did think that there was a little bit of a Cormac McCarthy, No Country for Old Men vibe, and I'm obviously a much, much, much lighter tone. In that, so much of what these characters talk about and what the story points towards is the sense that. The world is only getting worse and darker and kids these days. Uh, there is one great scene with a little kid uh, who. That's the scene <laughs> Katie missed. Exactly. I'm sorry, Katie. Where he's uh, oh, that? This oh, I missed this. Where yeah. this little kid comes by and talks about his dick. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah, it's great. Well, <laughs> the, well the, thing that, the thing we should note here is that there's this kind of two sided coin to the LA depicted in this movie. One is all about smog, and the other one is all about porn kind of blossoming in. in L.A. at this time in the 70s, and both are woven together, and so you can have kids talking about their dicks and accidentally witnessing porn shoots and shit. But then, of course, the entire mystery, like Chinatown style, is riding on the smog or the automotive industry and, and yes. smog prevention, yeah. <laughs> which it's is a very weird, very bouncy thing. Uh, as, as, as lugubrious as the individual turns of the plot are, Big picture, it's actually very cleverly done. I just wish that that smog element were the tiniest hair uh, more towards the foreground than it ultimately is. Because I wanted to um, speak to Katie's point that she didn't think that there were real stakes in this movie. I I thought there was a lot of stakes, at least in terms of danger. 
um, not knowing what could happen with these twists and turns. Um, not everyone's going to make it out alive, maybe. There's just a lot of violence, and that's true to just Shane Black's entire career, right? Anyone can die. People will get really, really hurt. Um, and I was surprised that the, of the violent twists that this movie makes and how frank it is about death, um, speaking to your Cormac McCarthy point, I suppose. And um, But then how some people are empowered by the fact that they might die, that they just feel like they're invincible. Uh, and how that kind of propels Ryan Gosling, especially Ryan Gosling, forward, who is a hoot in this movie. Just so many squeals, so many gasps, such a dork in this movie. It's really, really he funny. Is, he is a hoot, but the whole idea of his, like, him being propelled by the sense that he won't die, like, doesn't really make any sense in terms of him as a single father with, you know, who's a, you know, he's he's not a great parent he's bringing his daughter into a lot of situations where she doesn't belong but he does recognize that you know he loves her and is important to take care of her i couldn't really reconcile that there, there's not the, the the character beats that lead to that don't really make any sense even to, though he's really entertaining to watch he doesn't want her to be like other kids he wants her to be sharp and he wants her to be fearless and he she want he wants him to uh, her to throw yeah. herself into problems and she's better but than him sh- at that but he shouldn't feel empowered by the idea that he's going to die because he has to take care of a child which he uh, seems aware of that's true, but then that's what Russell Crowe does. Russell Crowe is the true parental figure in this whole mess, and they have a relationship like that. Yeah, I mean, which is Ryan kind of Gosling's character is a fuck up, but he—I mean—he loves his daughter clearly. He's yeah. a fuck up, and she lo- she knows that he's a fuck up. And you see this relationship in a lot of movies where the kid uh, is, in many ways, a lot more responsible than their often single parent. Uh, but Ryan Gosling, as as decent as he is, uh, I don't think is given quite the Yelp's got a little bit much for me. I think I, I don't, he doesn't have quite as much to work with as Russell Crowe, who I really think delivers one of the best performances of his uh, career in this movie. Uh, I think Russell Crowe was always destined to be a character actor rather than a leading man in the traditional sense. And as he most has, leading men working today are quite frankly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he has so much fun in this role. At least it looks like he's having so much fun in, uh, in this role. Uh, and I think it actually, his background is a very serious actor uh, who is playing very, who, you know, his history of playing very uh, overly self-serious roles works in his favor here because you can see him sort of tapping into that gravitas uh, for a lot of stuff that's going on here. But he is very funny and, and uh, always entirely believable. And the chemistry between them is is solid. See, I wouldn't argue that this is Russell Crowe being a character actor. I think he's doing leading man work. He's doing like Humphrey Bogart star work as like the man who's kind of exhausted by the world, who's seen it all, who's just trying to kind of make his way through this mystery. Like Ryan Gosling is doing like the big showy Brad Pitt and 12 Monkeys kind of character work. And uh, Russell Crowe is just kind of owning the screen. I mean, I agree that he's great in it, but I feel like it's uh, kind of him being a leading man in this way that he hasn't been. I mean, I'm going to say he hasn't been since The Insider. I don't think that's true, but it it makes me think of uh, The Insider in movies like that where he just, you know, was really good at being at the center of a story. Although they both kind of get to play with excess. They get to play with acting over the top. You know, there's a scene where they both find a body and suddenly, and and Ryan Gosling is drunk out of his mind. He just fell down a hill and hit this dead body. And then Russell Crowe is now the one flipping out and not knowing what to do. And then they'll switch roles again and they'll switch back and forth and back and forth. And each scene kind of puts them in a different dynamic, depending on pretty much how drunk Ryan Gosling is at any given point. (laughs) Uh, He drinks a lot. And actually the end of the movie is even like, Oh, everyone's drinking out. Great. (laughs) As if that was a plus. (laughs) No, there's a great, there's a great well, line where he says, we're all, we're all celebrating with a drink, right. and he's the only one drinking, which is uh, it's a good line. Yeah, and they're all Sorry, sort of resigned to this 
darker future. Uh, I mean, the movie, this is not a, uh, uh, you know, everyone solves the case, ties it up with a ribbon and moves on with their lives kind of movie. So uh, while there are, I think there is a very sort of, it's all within the spirit of the movie. It's very happy and upbeat, but at the same time, there uh, is a, a very real undercurrent of uh, things trending southward uh, yes. towards the end of the film. I, um, I don't. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Madison. Oh, the one thing I wanted to ask you guys is, um, you know, I think the the movie's uh, keystone is is Shane Black's dialogue, as it almost is in every one of his scripts. These kind of deviations, these conversations, these two guys have. There's a great. Russell Crowe tells a story about like Nixon seeing a dead man. It just goes on and on. And then Ryan got no, a, de- a dying man seeing Nixon. Right. Oh, see, sorry. seeing Nixon. And then, um, and then Ryan got like, why don't you just tell me what you're talking about? And I just thought that was quintessential black, like yeah, just go on and on. I, I commented after seeing it, that it felt like, and this is a, you know, this is a lazy and reductive comment on my end because you, you really don't know the process that goes into these movies. But my feeling was that this is a movie that was like one draft away from being really solid because, and that what I meant by that was just that there are a number, Shane Black is very, very funny and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang has grown on me over the years and then countless times that I've watched it. Uh, I like it more now considerably than I did when I saw it in theaters, but there are a lot of beats in this movie that are just not funny enough that are amusing. Like what? But not Does one there. come to mind? Like there's a, like the Nixon payoff, I thought was not funny at oh, all. It was hysterical. I love the, the big Nixon payoff. And the, there's like a dream sequence uh, in a car, which mm-hmm. is not funny that's, enough. That's and, a little strange. It, I thought it was going to be funnier in theory, but I just think like in every, in almost every conversation in the film, uh, there is it, it like the humor stops oh. when it, it needs to keep going, and like it just doesn't quite get to the laugh and sort that's of ends with a, a smile and. I noticed that the occasional line where I actually laughed out loud was a rarity. I mean, there's a throwaway line about Omar Sharif in the beginning of the movie that made me laugh out loud. And, and I noticed that it was sort of the first time the film had provoked that response for me. And uh, it didn't happen. Your I don't know. Off. I feel like the like, movie is peppered with so many little gags and, and the, the nuance of Ryan Gosling's physical comedy that ever, as, as the dialogue escalates, so does the, the physicality. And, and it always pays off. There's a scene where... The two of them are just sitting, listening to uh, Kim Basinger talk, and Ryan Gosling's trying to put mints in his mouth, and that gets a laugh, because he, <laughs> he's like, three mints, one makes it into a mouth. I just lost my mind. I thought all that little stuff was really funny and kind of kept the momentum going. But what I, what I really wanted to ask you guys was, I think the script is obviously pretty solid for me, um, but I was curious if you thought the action really delivered in this movie, because I thought... If, if there's anything that's working against the movie, it's that it's a little too Hollywood slick. Like, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was shaggy. Um, it was being yeah. made outside the studio, and was very aware of that fact. It went there. And this movie is violent, it's hard R, but it has these kind of like Hollywood set pieces that seem to be influenced by the Iron Man 3 shade black. I, uh, I, I will say that I think that the action was fine. It's not good action, but I don't think that the movie misses it. I think that this is a movie that was made on a not Iron Man 3 budget. And the important thing and what it gets right is selling the idea of the period of convincing, convincingly portraying this sweltering, smoggy uh, slice of the 70s as, as it was in Los Angeles. And I, I think that it. it convincingly creates that world in a way that has a much greater effect on the overall 
impact of the film and cohesion of the film than uh, well, I think a few there's action a, beats. There's right. a big fist fight kind of shootout scene at a porn party in a big L.A. mansion that, that I think works with the times and also is just really thrilling. Um, but then there's kind of a conventional shootout midway through the movie with Matt Bomer, who's playing, yes. I don't know, mm. nameless henchman eh, from a boy movie. Yeah, his, no, his something. name is uh, John Boy. His name is John Boy from John the Waltons. <laughs> He's talked about for half the movie. He shows up and it's just completely let in. He is far and away the worst thing. Well, here, yeah, they keep really... talking about him and setting him up as this kind of like yeah. big bad. I thought he'd be a, like this mob boss from... New York or Detroit or wherever. Or it'd be more fun to have him arrive. Yeah, and that and that shootout scene is really just so classic, like exactly what you've seen in a Hollywood movie. And I think it's like like in the porn scene, uh, the, the porn party shootout scene, and then in the very end, there's a lot of playing with space, like a lot of people like <clears throat> being in one place and jumping and yes. running and running out to the street, and none of that space is clear, which is, it, it's like clearly trying to go for something, but the the way that in, any of these people are in relation to each other is never really that well established. I thought, I thought then, the finale worked a little better because Ryan Gosling is just being kicked around so much that it's it's hysterical, and they're chasing the that he does get the shit kicked out it's of so the movie. It's but so funny. But it takes uh, a little while for that to start happening. True, like true. you get a lot more before then. And when I compared it in my head to not to just make this Marvel bashing, but comparing it to like the hand to hand combat in Civil War, I was like, all right, yeah, because seeing good hand to hand combat where you can tell who's punching who is nice. That's why I love Russell yeah. Crowe's beat uh, against Keith David uh, at the porn party. And there's some really inventive stuff there. They're pushing each also, other around. They drop a gun in the wa- uh, the hot tub and shoot it through the hot tub. That stuff's really brilliant, I think. Yeah, I mean that that that, that actual beat. We're talking really nitty gritty here, but like that shot, uh, the way that they film him shooting him through the hot tub is missing a shot. It's like the that beat doesn't work because the connective tissue is missing. Uh, but there, Shane Black gets away with a lot of moments that I think um, are really Shane black like that uh he fought for and make these bigger sequences that they are a part of work like there's a shot in the trailer of two people falling off of a building and one of them lands on the the in a pool and one of them lands in um, cement immediately next to the pool and there's a very stark contrast in how their bodies react to this uh their various respective falls and that's that's a beautiful beat and that's vintage shane black and all of the action scenes here as flat as some of them are are peppered with those little moments that that return them to the tone of the movie in a really uh, important way. And then there's a child performance that I'm really curious what Katie thought about. I liked her. I was I I liked the. Um, I was just looking up her IMDb page. Um, her name is Angori Rice, um, and she's like <laughs> a uh, she's a cute kid, but a scrappy kid. I think. I mean, she, I like her better than the kid in Iron Man Three, who I think is the kid we see at the very beginning, right? It, it, it the is. Same kid? Yes, the boy who finds yeah. the dead uh, porn star. You know, good for being a girl for once. I mean, I guess so. She's a little. She, is there a manic pixie you think dream she's child? She's precocious. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Come on. <laughs> no, I think she's very talented, and she she was she kept up with uh, Gosling and and Russell Crowe. Um, yeah. Sometimes I just felt like she's always sneaking into their business, and I don't know. That gets a little tiresome, but. I don't know. This what like Scout does in To Kill a Mockingbird. Like it's a. Uh, this is the To Kill a Mockingbird movie. of 2016, yeah. isn't it? I would. Uh, I, would say so. I think that the Scout comparison is completely right on. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I, I had no problems with the character. 
Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm a hard judge on kid actors and like kids in movies. It's... I usually would rather there not be kids. So <laughs> says the pregnant like woman. Their... Um, yeah, exactly. No kids ever. So the nice guys, uh, it's going to bomb at the box office. You said, or <laughs> everyone see it? Be... Come on. Yeah, but, no, I mean, I think you know what Patches was saying beforehand is that people. People are trying to prove. I mean, I think the Shane Black partisans, and there are some real intense ones out there. The internet is, uh, awesome. yeah, uh, are hoping to prevent another Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, they're hoping to that this can just be a classic rather than a cult classic. I think. Um, I think they probably miss miss uh, it, it, the dynamic with the Shane Black movie if that actually were the case. I think part of the appeal of these movies is that they fly a little bit under the radar, uh, at least in the second. Right. They yeah, get the they second, get away with something. Yeah, I mean that's we're not talking about yeah. the weapon Shane Black, but we're talking about Shane Black circa 2016. Uh, so everyone's going to be fine. Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling will work again. Shane Black already has 12 different projects lined up. Uh, this movie will be available on all sorts of streaming and maybe even physical uh, media in the immediate future, and we'll all move on with our lives. So it doesn't. I think the only people other than Warner Brothers who are really going to be clocking this are Shane Black fans but I think that they win either way got neighbors too and uh i mean david i love neighbors i've talked about it on this podcast before you got me to you your enthusiasm for neighbors uh which i i'm a longtime seth rogan devotee i don't know what was happening in my life at the time that i didn't go see neighbors but uh because you talked about it on a on a quarter quarter episode yeah i did such an impact on her marriage Um, but I, i think i'd seen it before then but it was her initial reaction to it that inspired me to pay real human money for a movie. I paid, my, I paid to see it too. Which is something I all pay. of our listeners do and you should relate to more, you <laughs> bastard. Who? <laughs> huh? Uh, uh, and I went, yes. I took uh, my now fiance to see it and we loved it and I've seen it way too many times to count since on cable. Uh, and we both went to the screening for this and uh I, I and you, you declared know, it masterpiece in your. I think uh, it's hard. I I do not think, you. unless I'm forgetting something, which very well may be the case, that there has ever been a funnier comedy sequel. Better comedy sequels, maybe you know, if you ca- talk about like Magic Mike XXL as like a comedy sequel, uh, that's uh, in the no. loose definition of the word. <laughs> but like a funnier comedy sequel than this, I do not know. And yeah, a, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a very strong film. I mean, which we'll talk about beyond just the laughs, but. Uh, yeah, I I thought it was well. I mean, the na- people forget that Neighbors was beloved. Katie wasn't the only one. I mean, Neighbors was no. uh, Neighbors is a very popular movie, and I, you know, I, Seth Rogen has made his share of bad movies, but I, uh, for whatever reason, reuniting with Nicholas Stoller, who has also made a decent sequel before, and get into the Greek to a much better movie. Oh my god, that was it. That was fuck? like a. That when was, was the last time you watched that? Yeah, I mean, it's not it's it's not a sh- like a shadow of the movie that Forgetting Sarah Marshall is, and it's not even a true sequel. But um, still, I thought that all of these people, almost the entire cast of 
neighbors coming back. There was just something about it that didn't smack of a cheap cash grab that that you, especially because Seth Rogen was initially not going to do the movie, and he decided to. Uh, his judgment recently has been pretty strong, apart from the James Franco's movies he does that nobody ever sees. And I'm not talking about the interview. I'm talking about, like, uh, what was the one he did, the Faulkner adaptation? Oh, anyway. God. Didn't he do multiple? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he, was in that? Yeah, it never came out, I don't think. Anyway, um, I'm there are too many. I'm getting turned around. But uh, I, I was optimistic about this, and uh, I, my optimism paid off in spades. Should I set it up very quickly? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Neighbors, as you probably remember, uh, Rose Byrne, Seth Rogen, new parents living next to a college fraternity where the head of the fraternity was Zac Efron and his pals were Dave Franco and Gerard Carmichael, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in this film... The couple has just sold their house when, or is about to sell their house when the movie begins, uh, and they go into escrow, which uh, <laughs> which they did not bother to learn yes. the definition uh, of. And when, did, did that, neither of you know what escrow meant before this movie? I, I did because of a Gilmore Girls episode many years back, <laughs> uh, where Frank Stallone. You are you are also a real adult. Goes around going, I'm an escrow for. Uh, it's not Frank Stallone. Sorry, it's someone else's. Uh, no, I, you just blew my mind. I'm like, wait, Frank yeah, Stallone no, was no, in Gilmore Frank Girls Stallone. this whole time. <laughs> I, everything is confused in my brain right now. It's very late, but the uh, uh, anyway. But what escrow means, of course, is that the the buyers have 30 days in this case to inspect the property at their leisure. <laughs> Although it feels uh, and, like a year. Yeah, and make sure that uh, and make sure that it is up to snuff and passes all their inspections. But our couple does not have – it's not an escrow for the part, the house that they're buying. So they would be fucked if they couldn't sell their house. Uh, so they just need to keep things cool for 30 days. But lo and behold, a uh, <laughs> the house next door, recently vacated by the fraternity, uh, has new tenants. And they are, at the start at least, three girls, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, uh, someone Clemens from Dope. Uh, Kiersey Clemens. Clemens and uh, Jonah Hill's sister. Great name. And the greatest they, name. they have started their own sorority called Kappanu because they are horrified to learn the very real rule that only in the Greek system, only fraternities can throw parties. And when fraternities throw parties, the drinks are spiked and the women are debased. And there's absurd covers at the door and the power is decidedly. And nobody up. has fun. And nobody women has, don't have fun. The women certainly don't have fun. Uh, and so they start their own sorority, which I suppose grants them the power to throw a party. That point is sort of unclear. But uh, they need to rage. They need to party because they need to take it. They need to grab the freedoms that have been taken away from them. And so this sets up a conflict of interest, uh, particularly interesting because Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne, the, the great Rose Byrne, uh, are as good liberal parents as the template that they are trying to set for our generation, uh, want to, in theory, support Kapanu's ideals. They they are about to, Rose Byrne's character is pregnant with their second daughter. They want to raise two independent, strong independent Barnard women, or women of any college, I suppose. <laughs> uh, that's the Barnard. Yes, I don't think that's specified. In the way. Uh, no, they shot in Georgia here. And the girls are four and zero, or three and zero. Uh, and in a very nice touch, the baby who played the their baby in the first movie, although it was played by twins, Full House style, uh, the same kid it plays their kid now. And you can tell. I mean, it actually oh, really? adds, 
feeling of like self-respect to this world. Uh, she's really cute too. She's really cute. I'm not and, sure that I could tell you that that I, was. In I the movie. I could tell instantly, instantly. Come but on. I have neighbors. Oh no! I mean, Elisa and I uh, instantly we noticed. I mean, we said it to one another. We've seen neighbors a hundred times. Yeah, I mean, like this is not. Here. <laughs> uh, and you're drunk. Um, uh, but they want to protect the ideals that these these women are fighting for. But at the same time, they uh, they they want to they sell. want to sell their fucking house. And so the problem is on. And in one quick last detail of the plot before I turn it over and then get back into the mix later is that Teddy, played by Zac Efron, who was the nemesis in the first one. Uh, has has found uh, everyone else growing up, or all of his friends sort of growing up around him. Uh, Dave Franco, who plays his best friend Pete, has come out of the closet since the previous film uh, and is about to get engaged to his, uh, his new fiance. And the film, of course, in the tradition of these the Apatow era comedies, is is nothing but loving and supportive of his uh, new direction in life. And uh, but. Teddy needs a new place to live because he's getting kicked out of his own apartment. He's a roommate of Pete's. Uh, but he's really feeling stagnant in life. He's now his boss is younger than he is at Abercrombie. Um, life is in, in, in uh, turnaround. And so he joins up with the girls because fighting, renewing his war against Mac and Kelly uh, is going to make him feel young again. Uh, and this is a plot point that the film handles with with uh, delicacy, and uh, and so that that the table is set and the fun begins. So basically, I mean, you, you've given a lot of plot, and there's a lot of gags in this movie that are not worth getting into in detail or spoiling. But I think what makes this movie so good is that it's got so much sympathy for all its characters that it needs that much plot that like everyone kind of has their own thing going on. Definitely. Like you understand why the girls have the sorority and they have a good reason for it. You understand why Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne want to sell their house. They have good reason. You understand why Zac Efron makes a series of bad choices in this movie because he's at a loss. There's it's so human and so like thoughtful about its characters and the choices that they make. And like a little bit, some of it's rushed. Like there are some, uh, character beats in this movie that I think kind of whiz by because they need to keep the plot moving and not that they sell that like well. Zach Zac but... Efron flip-flopping. He's, he's constantly yeah, on different yeah. things. No, I, but I think the yeah. scene that causes him to flip-flop uh, is really a really clever way of showing how the generational divide has uh, become so has sped up. limited. Yes, it's become so sped up and so harsh. And, and Wait, describe what this scene is because this is very funny. This is they're yeah, all, they're all in a room. Is, all the girls are in a room together, texting each other, basically voting with Zac Efron off. in the room. And yes. he is completely because he's just like two years too old, really, right. uh, to 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 be at their speed. And he is oblivious to the fact that. They are all getting together and deciding to fire him silently as they hammer away at their phones. This reminded me of any uh, time someone's talking about Snapchat and I'm in the room yes, with them. Yes, like, what are you, what are you? Who? How? Uh, um, your, and your fiance is a very active Snapchat. That's true. Maybe I should have said peach then. I'm sure there are kids <laughs> peaching right now. It's funny because they all think he's so hot. But they have so little use for him anymore. And he's so old. And all he them. wants to be is useful. Like he yeah. says over and over again, he just wants to be useful. Uh, yeah, and and uh, but I think Katie, you hit the nail on the head that the secret to these movies and to a lot of Seth Rogen's brand, but particularly the Neighbors movies, is that they're so empathetic, they're so sweet, they have such they grant all of these characters as ludicrous as the gags get uh, their own dignity, and um, they really sort of mean well and, and leave you with a warm feeling. Well, I think and uh, that's that's if I have a gripe with this movie, I laughed a lot. It's very funny. It's a little sick at times, like. 
there's more bodily humor jokes than I was expecting and would really care for. I don't need to see Rose Byrne vomit on Seth Rogen's face as they have sex. That is not and something that's the I first, really that's the first scene. Yeah. The first scene. It that's a strong funny. lead. Strong lead, as we say in journalism. Um, I, but one thing, one gripe would be that the characters are so well-developed and the motivations uh, for everybody, are, they're, they're so strong and they all kind of weave together in an interesting way that by the time we get to, like, the the final act where clearly Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne are going to have to take, and Zac Efron, are going to have to take major steps to get these girls out of this house. It really becomes a circus. I think it's a little sloppy, and it's and it's not that funny anymore. Uh, it really loses its way and kind of falls on obvious gags that that don't really land. Um, and it just it just kind of flops in the end, I think. I don't agree with that, but I do. I will say uh, that I wish this movie were longer. I think that uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a tight 90 minutes. And you can see in the trailer even that there are scenes involving potentially not major characters, but like whole characters that disappear. Uh, Kelsey Clemens's father is played by LL Cool J. He is not in the movie. What? Yeah. What? Uh, oh, right. There's a whole bit in the trailer with, yeah. where he finds her dildo. Uh, right? Well, wait, her, the, the daughter's dildo because... He finds uh, a dildo. More dildo a, jokes. There, there is are a, a lot of dildos very funny, in this movie. Very funny recurring dildo joke uh, that is in the movie. But uh, not a dildo, a vibrator. But um, uh, yes, I believe there is a dildo joke that was cut that you see in the trailers. But there, there's clearly material there. That's the case for every movie, of course. But um, this one really feels... So tightly packed that a little bit more breathing room, especially spent with the girls, because, you know, it's it's a bit frustrating that uh, given the theme of this movie and the points it's trying to make that the characters that get short shrift are the new uh, are these girls in the sorority. They don't get the time to shine that the guys did who were part of Zac Efron's posse in the first movie. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that it's they shot all of the right material and then cut it, but I definitely could have used another 10 or 15 minutes fleshing out those characters at various points in the movie. Yeah, yeah. but they do do a good job of keeping their motivations in a really specific place. Like, it's not about them being like, I want to party and ruin these old people's lives. It's about them, like, A, like, reclaiming their right to throw parties on their own terms, like, wanting friendships, wanting to establish a family for themselves, and, like, really sticking by that and trying to, like, have an identity in this world that is so skewed toward men where like young women are objectified constantly. And, and, and that, also, Oh, sorry, go on. I will, and it continues to like to the very end. Like there's a, there's a moment toward the end basically where someone, you know, asks if like you have to wear hoodies to be in their new sorority. And, and they're like, no, you can wear whatever you want. It's, it's like, it's, it's not looking down on people who will want to dress up in tight dresses and go to frat parties, but it's really supporting their ability to forge their own path. And that's something that so many movies get wrong. And this movie is really careful this to get right. This movie is so damning of sorority culture. Uh, no, but it's no, also... It's, it's, it's damning of frat culture. Okay, yeah, well, yeah, it's, but it's, it's, it's damning of the, the Greek system. It's not damning of, of sororities yeah. as, as units of friendship, but like the rules that girls can't throw parties. I, I feel like that yeah. is legit. And oh, yeah. That is massively fucked up. And it's also funny that, you know, these girls, while there is significant legitimacy to their crusade, um, I think, Katie, what you were saying is right on in that, like, not only are they trying to make it in this world that is so skewed against women, but they're also clearly 18 year old people who three days before were sleeping in their childhood bedrooms and are completely lost, which is why they are a lot less successful in some respects uh, in their war against our heroes. That's that's another uh, bit of a. They're not seniors, but no, but they, 
they are in need of a system not only where they can not get raped at parties, but where they can have a place for themselves, period, where they can have friendship, where they can feel uh, be- that they belong. And I think that the movie does a phenomenal job of juggling and or balancing rather their moral imperative with uh, their sort of human one. I, the I, same wish, and it, I wish and the balance. it does balance. that even it was, it was real quick. It just like it, there's an early scene that I didn't even think it was that funny, but with their RA in their dorm. Yeah, where it's a guy who's kind of barging in and telling them what to do. And I, I and the, the scene didn't work for me that well. It does a really good job of saying it's not just about frat culture. It's about men trying to tell young women what to do and them not having a space of their own. Anyway. Yeah. Al Mooney is very funny in that scene, yelling at them about smoking pot. Um, well, yeah, the one thing I was going to say is like almost tied to what I was saying about the ending, where the, the kind of like war doesn't really pay off. It's not as interesting as these character arcs, is the, the setup of the movie. I mean, you don't want to overthink the plot of neighbors too you want the jokes all to land and for it all to kind of crescendo um but why are these girls going to war with these people like they get the house they're smoking pot they're not going to be that loud if they're smoking the massive amounts of pot they're smoking come on not believable what's the deal why are these girls who you, that seem just, sounds, just fine that like, just seems they're chill. sounds sexist to me that you're sounds sexist? Like, like, what, the, yeah you're like, the girls the girls can't make noise. Why can't the girls just relax? You know, if that's they want to cause well, hold hell. On, hold if on. they were boys causing hell, that's you bullshit. would be like boys will be boys. Hey, hold on, that's bullshit. Because the guys in the first movie are drunken assholes. They are the frats that these girls fear. Okay, so yeah. of course they're going to butt heads directly with their neighbors. They are assholes, and we know this because Zac Efron has a criminal record in Neighbors Two, which is which really is funny. a great callback. The girls. <laughs> Are living a different lifestyle. Oh my god! The whole I thing just is remember rejecting... the cop scene. What? So no, good. they want they want to be able to throw the parties on their own terms. They want to be able to throw a loud, drunk party. They just want to be able to do it on their but own terms. Like I mean, you they're see, not really doing that in the beginning. They they get to that point, I guess. <laughs> well, it just feels I, I a little forced. That, I think that it has Seth nothing Rogan to do with them being them. girls. It has everything to do I know, with what I they know, do. But I think Seth, Seth Rogen the telling them that they can't is what lights the match. Because they have started the sorority just to do the things that they are told that they can't do by men. And so Seth Rogen coming over and saying, don't he hands party it off for the bird. He's like, well, he I tried. can't tell you to do this because I respect <laughs> yeah. women. That's <laughs> funny. But uh, that you know, funny. I think that does stroke the fire. I also think that it sort of galvanizes it for them. And also what like it make you know this war against them sort of galvanizes their sisterhood but also Zac Efron needing this his character needs this stokes the fires uh between them and allows it to escalate into like this Michael Mann like centerpiece weed heist uh which <laughs> which is very funny and after that there's really no turning back it's like such a giant because the, what happens patches i think on a purely plot level is that the girls need to raise money, buckets of money. Don't yeah, forget the buckets, buckets of money. Of money. That is and uh, and they need to do that. And Seth Rogen makes it difficult for them to do that. And then he steals their only way of making money. And so I think the war sort of organically escalates from there. And it works for me. I want to go back. Sorry, go ahead, Patches. No, I was just going to say, really, in the end, for me, the jokes are funny enough that I don't overthink this much. You know, Only in yeah. the end was I really kind of dwelling on this and kind of clawing at my seat to get through it all. Uh, the, the, the rest, the middle, I mean, that heist is so funny. Uh, Zac Efron performing his audition for Magic Mike XX Oiled, up. Oiled up with uh, chicken grease. I thought it was brisket. Anyway, what were you going to oh, say? Oh, whatever. Some, 
Uh, I just want to go back to the beginning where we were talking about uh, Dave Franco being engaged to a dude and how charming and sweet that engagement scene is. And like how this movie does like we were talking about how the empathy that it has, but it does. It makes all of this inclusivity and like what some people would call PC-ness looks so easy. Like it's just the way that movies ought to be. And it shows you this scene where Dave Franco gets engaged and like, like all his dude friends are there and supporting of it. And it's just so kind and funny at the same time like you're laughing at this scene but you're not laughing at two guys getting engaged it's got so much else going on to it i was really amazed by it's how really because that uh, john early is the funniest man on the planet the guy who plays which one's john early uh he plays dave franco's fiance uh, uh, fiance boyfriend oh, really? turned fiance turned husband he is I did not recognize so, him for anything. he's not he's not a huge he's a stand-up comedian he just did um uh, a show on netflix called the characters where they just handed him Oh, you know, yes, 30 minutes oh, he made budget. that episode. That so I funny. Um, yeah. yeah uh, he's crammed with really funny people in tiny parts. Like uh, Hannibal Burris shows up in this kind of, well, kind of a non sequitur. He's in the scene. first one. He's, he's reprising his role from the first one. Oh, is he really? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's like the cop of, from the end yeah. of the first one. But and now Gerard so, Carmichael is with him. And now it's yeah. his training day. Uh, it's so that, like, good. Like Abby Jacobson is, uh, you know, kind of in a straight role. Like the, uh, I was asking Patches about the. There's two real estate agents. One of them is Billy Eichner, and one of them is a woman who I didn't recognize, but she's like a famous stand-up comedian. It's and Kelsey Grammer shows up for one scene. There's so much going on in the casting. Billy Eichner, Sam Richardson yeah. from Veep. Very oh my god, funny, very I love that guy. People. He's everywhere right now. He's so funny. Yeah, this is yeah, it's a, a loaded I mean, movie. Yeah, clearly, and, and also, I mean. I kind of still think Rose Byrne might be the stealth MVP of this entire franchise. Not so stealth anymore. <laughs> She's so funny. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rose, Rose Byrne. And, they, you know, Nick Nicholas Stoller always knew what to do with her, which is why. From Get Into you know, the Greek? You, well, yeah. I mean, she's amazing in Get Into the Greek. And he knew that she was a genius. Uh, and that's why he really let uh, her do her thing in The Original Neighbors. And he does the same thing here. And she, you know. There's not a moment in this movie is anybody behind the scenes saying that she's um, sort of window dressing or can't stand toe to toe or exceed what Seth Rogen can throw down. I mean, like she's just on top of everything. It's fantastic. Well, I love that I'm talking to you guys in particular about this right now, because the reason I talked about Neighbors when we did a quarter quell was because of its depiction of marriage, because I saw it the week after I got married and found it such like a like a heartwarming and like realistic portrayal of marriage where at the end of that first movie, they have ranch dressing for their pizza in bed. And it's like the best thing you could do for someone, which felt very true to me. Uh, did this, uh, did this depiction of, of marriage make you guys feel good about your own impending nuptials? Uh, well, I couldn't stop thinking about you. You're about to have a baby and Rose Byrne is pregnant in this movie. So it seems like I was going to, I was going to get to me. Yeah, we're back in your court, really. This is far ahead. I need to go back to neighbors one to prepare for the, the, the gag of, their their daughter loves uh, not to use, but just as a as like a she she loves Rose Burns uh, vibrator and, and she, she dresses like doll, it up like, like dresses, it's a princess. Yeah. yeah, she like puts like a gown on it and is like inseparable from it. Uh, and you know, kids pick the weirdest things to fixate on. Uh, but the way that they, I think that's a funny enough visual in and of itself. But what I loved about it, what made me think of them as like a couple that like was like, OK, that's kind of the couple that I would like to be like. Um, it's just how sort of nonchalant they are about it. Mm-hmm. They're just sort of they're just sort of like, well, like bringing up a small person is so absurd. <laughs> and, and I mm-hmm. think that this movie just it, it is part of that. 
sort of subgenre of movies that is happy to laugh at that um, and not. Uh, and it, it, that, and that the idea of having a second one, they're still just like, do we know what the fuck we're doing? Right, like, they we still gonna, don't get it. Well, that's. This? I was going to say the most relatable scene to me is when they're just at each other. They're arguing, but they're deciding who is the worst parent. And they're like back and forth <laughs> over how they are fucking up so badly. I forget. I forget. Like they both ended up dropping their first child on the floor at different times. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. one of them, like maybe she ate weed or something. She ate drugs. Uh, yeah. She was like gnawing on like a on a like a on a joint. Like a weed. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, holy shit. I am that. That's foreshadowing of my own life somehow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, and and, the, and but the way that they support each other through the whole thing, like. You know the the sororities tries to tear them apart from each other, oh, and it yeah. like works very briefly. But that, like they're so on the same team. The worst that's scene the, of the yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, Patches is right. I mean, like everyone, everyone that I've spoken to, more or less feels the way, same way. It's not a big deal. I mean, it's a short bit, but it does it, it doesn't really work comedically. Weird. But the payoff uh, dramatically makes it worth it because they. Uh, rather than it be a miscommunication that spirals out of control and causes this whole end of the second act problem that you see in you know, every rom-com you've ever seen, for example. Here, they're just like, I love you. And she's like, I love you. Like, I would never do that. And he's like, all right, I know. And like, they move on. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. that is what makes a marriage work. I, I says the guy who has not yet gotten married, I know. But no, it, uh, it, that, is. it is. It's what makes a relationship work. So, Yeah. And there's a, they also uh, like the pizza in bed scene at the end of the first movie. There's a great scene in, with them in bed at the end of this movie that is uh, very heartwarming. And, uh, you know, proves how good a grasp this movie has on character, which is what makes it so, makes it so good. So you're saying Neighbors 2, not only funny, but also take notes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't have a kid yet, so I don't know, <laughs> but I think so. Also, as I tweeted, there is a psych gag. About pregnancy that was not appreciated by me, but other people <laughs> might. I was. Funny. Is that possible? I mean, no. Come on. It I, is possible. It is possible. What What so, about the human body isn't possible, Patrick? Literally anything that, can happen. That's just something disgusting. that. Uh, well, the most impossible one is the uh, the uh, tampon psychic because uh, the organization and the time it would take to organize something like that uh, could not have happened within this thirty day escrow period. So I call foul, even though that scene was funny. Oh man, yeah, that seems gross and funny. I I agree with Zach Efron. It is gross and funny. I really like how he learns that you can't call women hoes and all of his education about like understanding women at all throughout this movie. <laughs> I like how he learns that uh, eggs become hard yeah. and <laughs> oh pasta God. becomes soft. This, this is Zach Efron's masterpiece. <laughs> it, I mean, it, like he's it really he's, is. It's such a good it's such okay. a good question. Why would it make eggs hard if it makes pasta soft? Like. Mm-hmm. Good point, man. I made okay, the same so Nate, face that Seth Rogen makes in that scene. Wow, wow. <laughs> you know, like, like hmm. Yeah. Oh. You have a good point there. Um, so, yeah, I guess we could talk about Neighbors 2 forever, but in short, people should see it, right? Yeah. Yes. Is it, so you don't think it's a masterpiece, Patches? No. But uh, I, the only other, I was trying to think, David's first question was, is this the best comedy sequel of all time? Funny. A Shot in the yes. Dark might be up there. But uh, it's close. It's close. Yeah, I mean that's definitely it's a, it's it's great as a writer to be able to say something like that and have vetted it um, because it it's a sexy way to package your content, um, but uh, it, it helps that it's true. I mean, I wouldn't have said it if it, if I hadn't vetted it and thought that it was true. I mean, it benefits from low. It's more about the uh, shameful quality of most comedy sequels than it is about the genius of Neighbors Two, which I'll allow, uh, but I can still get away with it as a headline. Um, and Lisa Kudrow's, you know. Have the character or Dean 
you know, focus on headlines returns also. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we've seen so many bad comedy sequels this year alone um, and, and in the past few years. Uh, and it's it, it's definitely a huge change of pace to have one that is the equal of the original. Yeah, uh, I'm delighted by Neighbors too, and I will get back to you guys in a year on how much this taught me about parenting. And hopefully we'll not have my child chewing on weed. But we'll see. Hopefully. No promises. What was this week's lightning round question? Yes, it was in honor of Neighbors to Sorority Rising. we got to use the full title here. Uh, what's the most casually progressive movie of the last decade? Casually progressive, a phrase that Katie demanded we define before our lightning round last uh, earlier this week, and uh, I refused. I refused. Although you have to choose. Have had, you have to figure that out Our listeners have had no problem because they, get, they had a lot of good answers. So, uh, David, who's, who's yours? I'm going to go with, uh, I think a, a smart answer that I would not have thought of, uh, Jeff Burnett, at Burnettski92, says, Casino Royale, with an exclamation point. A vulnerable James Bond, when he almost never was before. A Bond girl with actual character and story, all while you think you're watching the average Bond flick. Uh, right on the money. Good answer. A lot of people said Magic Mike XXL. I'm surprised he didn't uh, go for it, but I, I don't know. Why is Magic Mike XXL so... Casually progressive because men men are being objectified. Is that not the case? I mean, and also like the empowerment of uh, Jada Pinkett, maybe. Oh yeah, she is pretty big badass in that movie. That is quite yeah. true. Um. All right, I'm going with a uh, silver whatever who said Paranorman, adroit social commentary, and by the way, one of the kids is gay. No big deal. I loved Paranorman, and I think that is a spot on definition of what that movie was like. Which is part of why I liked it. And I'm going to go with at the real Illich, who said, uh, Love is Strange, the Ira Sachs movie from a few years back. Oh, God. When when did it actually come out? Like two years ago? 20, am I 20, old? 2014. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, starring John Lithgow and Alfred Molina as a, a married couple. It's so progressive, I guess, that you don't even think about, oh, Two older men married, and there are even scenes where they're confronted about their marriage because Alfred Molina works at a Catholic school, I believe, and they have a big problem with their, his, his, his marriage. But no one gives a shit because they're very worried about New York real estate, as we all are. Yes. Not to be too New York-centric. We, I know I get, we get that <laughs> note, but we're No, we're I think so everyone listening up. to this podcast is worried about New York real estate. Everyone <laughs> on Earth, definitely. Uh, that does it for this week's podcast. Uh, we'll be back talking to you next week. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, Senior Entertainment Editor at Thrillist.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm David Ehrlich, Senior Film Critic for IndieWire, and you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. And I'm Katie Rich. I'm at VanityFair.com, and I'm on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Yeah.